Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Just before we jump into the episode this week, I wanted to share a little bit about the Thrive community that I run. It's a place where many like-minded women go to connect and share their experience with getting and staying successfully sober. There are different sections like the main Thrive community feed where people post about things that are up and coming or about challenges they're facing and they get incredible support from other members of the group. It really is a special, special place to be right now. There are also sections to share your milestones because every win, even the really small ones, are a big thing to celebrate and we acknowledge that. There are five events, there are the weekly Zoom recordings, so you can go back and see all the weekly Zoom meetings and all the topics that have been covered in those meetings at your own leisure. There's a share sober tips section, and then there are group chats for the first 30 days, the first 100 days, the first year, and over a year. There's a knowledge hub as well, and in the knowledge hub you'll find a place for books and book recommendations. There's a section of how to survive the first 30 days. So if you come in completely brand new to getting sober, you can hit the ground running and find tools and information to get a structure set up for yourself from the outset. There's also my Thrive Sober program. There's a toolkit. There's understanding the brain science and a space to read and learn about all the topics under emotional sobriety, most of which have been written by myself. So come into Thrive. If you're thinking about it or you're lacking community, I would say just jump in and go for it. And maybe we'll see you in there soon. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I've got the pleasure of chatting with May who's in Streatham and she's eight months sober at the time of this recording. She's also a member of my Thrive community and has been for the whole duration really. She joined around the new year period. Uh, So it's so nice to actually have an opportunity to talk with you one-to-one and face-to-face. Thank you so much for making the time for me today. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, I'm really looking forward to it and looking forward to the story. Um, so, mate, why don't you just give us a bit of insight into who you are, what you like doing, all that jazz. Um, yeah, so I am May. Um, I'm 30 years old. I, as you said, live in Streatham in South London, Um, I work in philanthropy, so I run a charitable foundation for um, a company. So my job is sort of to research charities and and sort of, you know, deliver our strategy and things like that. Um, I enjoy travel. That's my sort of number one thing that I like to do. Um, 
I like to eat. I love to go out for dinner. Um, I love spending time with my friends. Um, and yeah, I like to read, um, listen to classical music and binge watch TV shows wherever possible. (laughs) (laughs) Girl after my own heart. What are you you binging at the moment? Oh gosh, I can't believe this is going to go on public record, but scandal at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know what it is, but it sounds great. Yeah, it's an old, an old one, but um, yeah, it's really good. So definitely recommend (laughs) Oh, that's really good. Um, yeah, I watched that. What's the one selling sunset? I I love a bit. Oh. Have you seen that one? Yeah, um, I love it. The, the, drama. the drama and the cars <laughs> and the glamour. Oh, it's so yeah. oh, guilty it's pleasure. Crazy. Yeah, love it. Um, oh, so why don't we go back to the beginning and tell us about your life with alcohol? Where did that start for you? Yeah, of course. So I'll um. God, I'll just start from the beginning of life, really. Um, it's been in and around my life in various iterations. So I, um, my father was an alcoholic um, and my parents divorced when I was six. So didn't have a huge amount of sort of exposure to his alcoholism. I mean, there was definitely a few sort of very early memories of him acting a bit strange um but because they divorced when I was so young uh I didn't didn't sort of um experience it for much longer and as soon as my parents divorced we no longer had a relationship with my with my dad so um I heard a lot sort of after uh my parents had divorced um my mum sort of talking about his his drinking and things but um so that was, yeah, I'd say that was my sort of first experience. Um, when my parents divorced, my mum uh, quickly got into a new relationship. We we moved from Shropshire to Worcestershire um, and she moved her new partner into our house very quickly. Um, from... So this was when I was sort of six. Um, and then from the age of eight till I was 11, he sexually molested me and my sister. Um, though I have three sisters, but just um, only three of us were living in the house at the time. Um, so my older sister, who she's two years older, um, it happened to both of us. Um, and we we knew about each other, but we didn't say anything to my mum we didn't tell anybody else um so from 11 to 16 we had this this sort of really awful home life I mean well from 8 till 16 but once the abuse had stopped we sort of continued to all live together and as if you know nothing had ever happened um we never really spoke about it but I gosh (laughs) turned into the angriest you know teenager you can possibly imagine um looking back on it now I I, I don't think my sort of behavior and things was was crazy bad compared you know compared to what it could have been but um yeah I had a, a sort of few really really difficult years of trying to make sense <laughs> of what had happened but also how to sort of continue living in this uh you know family unit and in strong inverted commas um I didn't have a great relationship with my mum. She was very sort of focused on 
her relationship um, was, you know, because there was three of us, we were fairly self-sufficient. We spent a lot of time at home alone, um, didn't get a huge amount of sort of emotional support and probably, you know, my take on that is, <laughs> I, I don't know, we, we were quite vulnerable children, I think, based mm-hmm. on that relationship. And um, so I had, in terms of alcohol, I mean, I would actually say I had a fairly typical British experience of, mm-hmm. you know, going to a few parties when I was sort of 14, 15, someone would have been able to get some drink. Um, I would get drunk with my friends, but it wasn't, it didn't like open up a new world for me or anything like that. I think I was very preoccupied with other things um, that were happening in my head and in my life. And, you know, I'd, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say I sort of did anything crazy in terms of drinking as a teenager. Um, when I turned 16, my sister had been traveling around Europe for a few months. Um, she'd just finished her A-levels and I'd just finished my GCSEs. Um, and she came back from this trip abroad. And I think the reality of, of what had actually happened had, had kind of, she'd had an opportunity to really process and realize that this living situation was just absolutely untenable that we you know I definitely felt like I was slowly going insane (laughs) Um, Mm. and we made the decision together to tell my mum what had happened um to us um and yeah so we we told my mum sort of late summer of god I can't remember when I was 16 what year that was um but I think 2009 um told my mum and that actually led to um quite a painful estrangement from my family so um they I don't want to talk about it too much because it's sort of this is more about drinking but I think they just it just we maybe didn't have the connection that was needed to kind of get through it together um and probably the least painful way to process for them what was new information for us, which was just continued pain. Um, Basically your was, life. That was your life, wasn't yeah. it? Right. Yeah. Completely. And it's, you know, it had all been a lie. And there was a lot of, you know, secrets and things that they didn't know. And yeah, so when we told them, um, we, after a few sort of really difficult months, um, well figured out that we couldn't continue living with each other and we couldn't that relationship just it wasn't salvageable um so by the Christmas of my A-levels I had moved in with my sister um who obviously as I said is two years older so we were 16 and 18 suddenly just living you know in a little flat in Worcestershire and you know it was a really strange time and I've obviously thought a lot about this leading up to this recording and it's it's still really difficult to pinpoint certain emotions and things I think that at some point I just stopped processing new pain and Mm. I look back it's still it's a slight blur honestly that that sort of two years of my A-levels particularly but so I yeah 16 sort of found myself you know no longer having any rules any curfew you know my to be fair my my parents or my mum and her partner were 
were pretty relaxed about drinking. Like they would drink a bottle of red wine, you know, a few nights a week. But I think because her parenting style was so relaxed, there was no real sort of forbidden fruit aspect of it. Um, It was just sort of like, "Mm, this is what we do. Um, So I didn't have this perception of alcohol as, you know, something really exciting. I just, it just was a really natural sort of path that, I went on and that, you know, all my friends and my peers, when you sort of get to, you know, closer to 18, when you start wanting to go out to clubs and things like that. Um, So, yeah, so at 16, living alone, I honestly, like, was probably the best behaved (laughs) that I've ever been since. I think I had this real, you know, I, I had this real sense that I needed to sort of carry on with my education I I wanted to go to uni I was just my brain was just scrambled but I found some focus and I found a resolve and you know stoicism of such and kind of just kept my head down for the majority of my A-levels um I also met my ex-boyfriend um we had a very sort of first love you know intense relationship and I think that we were a really good influence on each other so you know I didn't take any drugs I didn't smoke I would go out with my friends and drink but um nothing more sinister than that um and then I got into uni I came to London actually I I studied philosophy at King's um which was a huge achievement to sort of go through all of that and then to Mm to get into uni um and you know I felt very different I I think I'd got very accustomed to living in this sort of secret life that I felt sort of very hyper independent didn't necessarily feel like I was understood or seen by my peers in a way that I wanted I think that you know, for other sort of 16 to 18 year olds, it's hard to comprehend <laughs> the sort of level of trauma that mm. I'd experienced. And I, you know, I didn't feel isolated as such, but I just felt very different. Yeah. Um, that's a feeling that's continued um, throughout my whole life, just feeling very apart from from other people. Mm. Um but yeah, I came to London. I mean, obviously, it's extortionately expensive to live here. Um, I was self-funded um, for the most part, like outside of my student loans. So I spent the whole of uni working alongside my degree. Um, again, I think that just kept me on the street and narrow. Um, go out with my friends. Just Alcohol just did not have this huge part of my life that was anything more than just the usual university experience. You know, I didn't drink at home. Like we'd go out a couple of nights a week. I'd get too drunk, but so would everybody else. Yes, honestly, just the rite of passage. Um, And yeah, I finished uni. I went traveling around South America with my ex. Um, Again, a trip that obviously had loads of potential to be a complete piss up. I don't really remember it being like that. It was definitely a few questionable nights. Um, I mean, once I got banned from doing beer pong because I was too drunk and I remember just being like, that's not possible. How can you be too drunk for beer pong? <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you can. I've, I've found that <laughs> there is such a thing. But, you know, it was just a bit of fun. That was, that was really it. It was a way to sort of let loose, 
you know, I don't remember liking the feeling or, you know, I've, I've, I've listened to sort of other podcasts, other people's experiences of, you know, alcohol bringing out a side of them that they couldn't access without it or they thought they couldn't. And it really wasn't like that for me. It was just very sort of like, this is what people do. Um, this is how it is, this is how we have fun. And, you know, I was just sort of following those steps. Um, and then when I was 24, I broke up with the boyfriend. Um, and that's really when the wheels <laughs> started coming off. Um, I would say I just I had this real sort of urge to be alone. I felt that after everything that had happened, I, you know, I'd never sort of had this time to just operate independently. And, and it was a great relationship and it was sad that it, it came to an end, but it, I just outgrown it. I just, I needed my independence. I needed to just think of myself. Um, what actually happened is that I then just ramped up <laughs> my partying. I'd, you know, I lost quite a lot of weight, um, just became a slightly different person, to be honest, um, was going out a lot. Like I started smoking for the first time in my life, <laughs> um, you know, started trying um, drugs and, you know, I just, I was sort of hanging around the slightly older crowd. I was working a job that was very sociable, was very sort of high stress. Um, and we, you know, like to unwind quite drastically at the pub. Um, so between 24, um, right up until COVID, when I was 27, I just became this sort of party girl um, and yeah that was that so even this time when <laughs> I was drinking a lot more like it still didn't quite have that sinister side to it I think I was just definitely letting my hair down I didn't see any issue with you know being in the pub like two or three times a week um getting absolutely plastered every time I drank I mean so many memories of waking up literally with my head on someone's toilet just stumbling home like four in the morning but it was just I don't know it felt like a breath of fresh air after an eight-year relationship of being very very sensible like very preoccupied with work and with you know life just generally um and then COVID hit <laughs> um, which is going to be just the new <laughs> point phrase I think for everything yeah. um COVID hit um, and I was alone in my flat in London for three months. I had two other housemates, um, one who went home to her parents and one who went to her boyfriends. And I would say COVID was kind of the tipping point for me and my relationship with alcohol, just because um, it was the first time really that I discovered that I really liked drinking alone and you know, my routine in COVID was you know, wake up quite early, exercise for two hours, eat, have a nap. And then from four o'clock onwards, I was drinking. Um, two bottles of wine a day was pretty standard. Um, I just, you know, obviously there was a lot of stress involved with COVID. Like I was furloughed from my job. I was pretty confident I was going to be made redundant. 
had no idea what I was going to do next. Like I had no savings. I was like, oh God, am I going to have to move in, like move back in with my sister, like in Birmingham? I just, you know, the anxiety was so intense as everybody felt, I'm sure. Mm. Um, And it was just so much easier to spend every evening completely wasted calling you know people just embarrassing myself even alone like you can still wake up the next morning like oh my god I did what last night like what you know just the state of of my flat and my life um and then um I actually I was gonna be made redundant but I very luckily was headhunted for a job through someone that I knew um which I started in the October of 2020. Um, And I found it really difficult after COVID to to drop the drinking (laughs) in the evenings at home. Like before then it had, it had pretty much been reserved for like actually going out to the pub or going to a party. Mm. This is where it had just become so entrenched in my daily life Mm. to, have a drink and you know we then obviously had a series of lockdowns my flatmate had come back and we we drank a lot it was honestly just felt like the only thing to do to entertain ourselves and you know there was so much online of you know how you know consumption had increased over covid and you know I really didn't feel like it was a problem I just felt like this is what everybody's doing like all of my friends the whole of the country, the whole of the world is just drinking their way through this horrible crisis. Um, so it didn't really strike me as a problem um, at all by that point. Um, I think there's that analogy in Alan Carr. I can't, is it the fly that sort of slips down <laughs> into the oh, flower? Yeah, the Venus trap. Yeah. Um, yes. And do you know what? I, I remember when I read that, it was it's so accurate. Like I've racked my brains and I cannot tell you the exact moment when it became an issue, like when I suddenly needed alcohol to function, not to like to function like emotionally at least, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, between sort of 2021 to Christmas of 22, it was just <sighs> it was a daily battle every day just that negotiating with myself of should I drink tonight oh no I I probably shouldn't like and you know never drink on Mondays like it just I think your next question is like when does it become problematic so I've just kind of jumped straight ahead to that so I would say the last two years it just become this obsession like I was fully preoccupied I had just got myself into a place where um, I needed alcohol for every emotion, happy, sad, bored, anxious. Um, you know, my friends had started to notice and my sister especially, like we've, we've not always had the easiest relationship. Like there's a lot of pressure on a pair of sisters who, you know, all they've got in the world is each other and it's really difficult to... I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a relationship that has to be protected at all costs but then you know there's boundaries that get crossed and, and your sisters right it's and my yeah. sisters yeah we so you know, always going to squabble and have those moments yeah yeah it's um yeah it's it's intense but I, people had I think people had started to notice but I was very good at manipulating 
the situation and, and hijacking the narrative. And I don't know, I think I carried a lot of, a lot of trauma. And I think that for me, I just felt that, you know, if I could, if I could just emulate this sort of sex in the city lifestyle and, you know, Bridget Joe or whatever it is, just, you know, being in London, especially like how bad can it be if you're sort of sitting in a really expensive wine bar or like you're at Claridge's having wine, like that can't be a problem, right? Like that's just what people do. And I think a lot of people will will understand like that sort of, you know, that watching other people's glasses, like hating being in rounds because that means you have to wait for the next, per- like for the person to finish their drink. And did, I did, always... they, did someone fill that one up more than mine? Yeah. Well, they've got, they've got um, three millimetres more than me. Honestly, I would not even let, I would be the one to pour. Like I would not be able to give that power away. <laughs> um and I think for me, like alcohol, it was it was escapism, ultimately. I think that I hadn't processed a lot of what had happened to me as a child. And alcohol just made, it, it was the only time when I was drinking that I felt like I could express what I, what I really thought, which is, you know, the irony is that obviously I'd wake up the next morning after saying something stupid and think, where on earth did that come from? That's not what I actually think. But at the time, like I would just... I would feel like this is my authentic self, you know, drunk, what is it, drunk body, sober mind or sober heart. And I just honestly couldn't deal with like day to day of life and all of its ups and downs, like without having a drink in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, noticing that and being aware of that can still take time though, can't it? Because you can be aware of needing the alcohol or you know emotionally relying on it but it can still take some time before you actually jump in and do something because I think like you sort of mentioned um a moment ago essentially that that denial really washes over you I think in that situation um and keeps you from seeing the real truth or keeps the door closed yeah (laughs) accessing yeah accessing another way forward that doesn't involve alcohol so talk to me about you know because we were talking before we um it came online you know hit record and we were sort of just trying you know we're working out when you joined thrive which was kind of new year-ish so and yeah just talk talk through that week leading up to you know what happened what, yeah. why did you actually what what happened on the day when you just said that <laughs> oh gosh um was it just um just to backpedal slightly so the last couple of years like I definitely had come I was coming to understand that it wasn't like my drinking wasn't sustainable mm. uh, you know that sort of real cognitive dissonance that was really intense like I would literally be sat in the pub with a glass of wine in my hand saying I'm gonna quit when I'm 30 like I know I can't you know I, I understood that I had a problem but I couldn't like actually make a move to fix it you know there's always something coming up yeah. that I need I have to drink for like I can't yeah. possibly be sober for that trip or that birthday or yeah. or just you know a Tuesday <laughs> whatever it is yeah. um 
And it was honestly, it was, it was death by a thousand cuts. Like I had just, my mental health was plummeting. I, my self-talk was just horrific. Like I felt like a constant failure, Mm. you know, that, you know, when it's, you know, whatever day of the week and I've woken up, like, I'm not going to drink tonight. And then, you know, I get off the bus on my way home. Suddenly I'm in Tesco buying wine and just that compounding effect of telling myself I won't do this thing and then doing the thing and it was it was like a disease that had just spread through my entire life like I would you know I had no motivation at work I stopped being able to advocate for myself because I felt so ashamed of my drinking that I felt I couldn't stand up for myself in other ways because you know I felt so pathetic all the time mm. and you know it was really hard to to like to have boundaries and to sorry right. to like put myself first yeah and it was just oh god it was just slowly slowly killing me um yeah and yeah, so I'd, you know, definitely had become sober curious. Like I wasn't actively looking for sort of content on Instagram or I wasn't reading much, but it just, my mindset was moving and changing. And I I started following you actually. I can't remember when, but I think it was early last year. And something about your posts like really resonated because you are really good at explaining, like, um, what's the word? Like, breaking down that sort of here's me in a bar with a glass of wine but here's actually what's going on like here's mm-hmm. the story behind the picture and you know <laughs> it's so easy to like convince other people and to convince yourself that it's just what everybody does but you know what I've learned obviously that you your relationship with alcohol is is going to be different to everybody else's and just because you can watch your other friend have one glass of wine doesn't mean that you can and so yeah, so last year things had got really bad, to be honest. I was spending all my money drinking, um, going out, impulsive shopping, like when I was hungover and depressed and everything just as I said, like the wheels had had just fully come off at this point. I was just existing on a day by day. You know, I'd sit down at my desk in the morning and just think like right I've just got to get to five o'clock and I'd achieve nothing and I'd feel so low about it and then I'd go home and obviously the only thing that makes mm-hmm. you feel better is a bottle of wine yeah. um, and I you know I had sort of like permanent shaky hands I didn't I, mean, I couldn't go to the gym I you know drinking plans were the only plans I could keep <laughs> it's the only thing that would get me out of bed at the weekend and I just had started to notice that when I was drunk, really drunk, like my, it was just feeling really dark. Like my brain was going to places that I didn't even know, you know, I was having thoughts that I didn't even know were in there. And it was, it's just really, it was really difficult obviously to talk to people about it because I had no impetus or no desire to stop. So I couldn't say too much to my friends and my sister because then it would be uncomfortable the next time <laughs> that I wanted yeah. to get drunk. Myself. Um, so, yeah, I thought I was doing really well at hiding it. <laughs> and also people, I think this is what I've found, certainly being in this community and then having my own community is that 
so many people don't get it as well though do they and it's like it's only when you connect with people or Mm -hmm. relate to other people that you can feel seen and understood and heard but also like that you're not this massive failure that actually there are other people out there (laughs) that are struggling you just like you are you know and I think that is so it's it's very comforting but actually at the moment, the way it stands, there is a divide. There are drinkers and then their opinion, you know, there are drinkers, whether they're drinkers that are, I can take it or leave it, you know, and have one or two, or I'm... It's mythical creatures. Or, or I'm just, you know, there are all kinds of drinkers. And then there are there are non-drinkers. But even in non-drinkers, there are people that just never got into it. And then there are people like us that were into it and now have stopped. And, you know, yeah. the, the, all the stories are different, but actually until you meet that pocket of people you you connect with on Instagram or whatever, the pocket of people that are going through the same sorts of things, it's very, I think it's very difficult to talk about it openly, yeah. be really honest and be vulnerable. I think that's hard. And that's, you know, that's why back then, before you'd gone on this journey, you would have found that really difficult. Like that's completely understandable. Yeah, I mean... Definitely vulnerability was something I really struggled with. I think that I felt I had to, you know, keep up appearances. Um, and my, you know, my my tolerance for risk was really low. And that's something that I had to confront in my in my job. You know, I when I got this this new job after COVID, it was really a step up from anything I'd ever done before. And, you know, I had to really confront my reluctance to do something that I thought was going to be wrong or, you know, to present some work. And I was just stressing about if it was, you know, crap. (laughs) Um, And that, I I mean, my whole sort of mental state and my approach to life was just awful. Like my world had just become so small and it was, you know, I I felt like drinking was the only thing I wanted to do. Um, the rest of it was just getting in the way, really, of of the, all the fun I wanted to have. Um, so yeah, so I'd become sort of sober curious. Like I'd started to let in this idea of, you know, probably at one point in my life I'm going to have to go teetotal. I think I remember saying that to someone <laughs> drunk. Um, and yeah. Um. I what was it so at Christmas I went to stay with my sister um her boyfriend and my baby niece um I you know got so drunk Christmas Eve the on the 23rd as well I basically was drunk from the time I turned up and you know some we we had sort of an issue like I was just behaving like an idiot basically on Christmas Eve um I won't go too much into it for out of respect for my sister, but um, it was enough that when we all woke up on Christmas morning, um, my sister took me outside into the garden and just said, we can't have you here if you continue drinking like this. And, you know, you are an alcoholic. And that was the first time anyone had said it to me with, you know, with sincerity. Like we'd all sort of joke around, you know, the table at the pub, like, oh, alcoholics. But that was the first time that, you know, that relationship I had with my sister was was at risk of breaking down. Um, they were very hurt by the way I'd behaved over Christmas. And, 
you know, for them, the only way that they saw a resolution was that I I no longer drink when I visit them. And it's interesting, like, I can't explain exactly why that was the thing that got through, but there was just something about that moment, like standing there on a Christmas morning, like freezing cold, just in the garden, like feeling like shit. And, you know, the person like I love most in the world, just sort of saying, like what the hell has happened to you like where like what is going on like why why are you like this like what you know what can we do like we want to help you but like we don't know how and you know she sort of said to me over the last couple of years it's like mate like your hands are shaking and you know we but you know I'd go to their house I wouldn't always drink much but you know there was definitely a few times and I'd like sink a bottle of wine and not think anything of it and my sister would you know who doesn't really drink would just be absolutely horrified and I would just you know write it off as you know, she doesn't really drink much she doesn't get it like it's not that big a deal and you know what there were so many rock bottoms like from 24 to 30 that the bar just kept getting lower and lower like you know things that I've like never told anyone like that you know have happened on on nights out and things like that and I just nothing was ever enough for me to just do the hard thing and and say that I couldn't I couldn't drink you know Mm. but something yeah this I I I don't (laughs) I find it's hard to explain exactly what it was but I just spent the whole of Christmas day like that in the bottom of her garden (laughs) um crying like in a t-shirt and just everything just came crashing down on me um I just felt so like defeated and exhausted by it all um and you know like leading up to that you know I would I would I would be thinking like you know I thought there was more to life than this yeah I thought that like you know sort of everything that happened would make me really strong and like really resilient and I've got this shot of having this life that's like really incredible and every day I just wake up like this isn't it like this isn't what I thought life would be like why have I survived so much just to like Mm. be this like there's got to be more um and yeah so we spent we spent I spent Christmas day there and then the next day I went to my friend's house in Somerset and I drove there and I hadn't really like decided what I was going to do like I my head was just so scrambled um and I just had this one thought that I like, just kept going through my brain which was like if I come away from this now and I have a drink like what does that make me what does that say and I just couldn't shake that feeling like if I pick up a drink now, then I think that that's like game over for me. Um, Yeah. I just, it was like, I just knew like that all the pieces just like came together and I just drove for these two hours to Somerset, like crying. I smoked an entire pack of cigarettes, like just literally out the window, like, oh my God, what's my life? And I, yeah, I I got, I got there on, on boxing day and I said no to a glass of wine and I I, that was it <laughs> wow From, it was really like you know I know they say an AA sort of like one day at a time um but it, it really was like that like I couldn't I couldn't I didn't even have the mental capacity to think beyond that day every day for you know at least a few weeks and I sort of yeah I knew what I needed to do which was just leave leave it <laughs> you can't do it 
it's horrid and it's stealing all of the good bits of my life and it's adding bad bits you know all that anxiety I felt mostly was something to do with drinking like something I'd done drunk or just you know the general feeling that you have being hung over and um yeah so that was it I, I haven't had a drink since um since that day since that day it's just been you know the days just accumulated and then suddenly it was a few weeks and then suddenly it was a few months and then um yeah here I am <laughs> wow god what a story um what a powerful what a hev- heavily emotional but really powerful <laughs> moment for you I, I wonder as well whether a lot of that emotion whether some of it is also relief in some ways as well you know because it's it, you were obviously aware that it was get, getting to the point where it was com- sort of com- almost completely taking over your life. Like you weren't in control. Yeah, you know, I was not. And, <laughs> was and, not. and it's like, you know, when you were describing that, it was a really emotional uh, <laughs> moment for me because you, when you were describing about, you know, is this it? I know what that feels like, you know. I've had that same feeling. But, you know, that is this it? Is this all, is this all it is? And you, it's almost like on some deep level, you know that you're really capable and that you could be really happy and that you could find, just find that magic, I suppose. (laughs) But just feeling so far away from it, it's frustrating. And there's almost a bit of relief, I think, also as well, sometimes in that emotion where it is a little bit like you just let it go, like that, I've got to close the book now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've and and my story was, you know, uh, similar in that I I on this on the on the day I stopped, I had that feeling of I've got to close the book. For me, it was like, you just can't do this anymore because you're just gonna you're ruining your life and it's gonna get really bad if you don't stop. And it's I find now, and I don't know uh if it's the same for you. Um, or or for you yet but I find now when I look back at that period of my life although there is you know sometimes there is emotion there and things like that but I am so glad that I got to that place because I feel like if I hadn't got there I could have I don't know maybe I could have just bumbled on for the rest of my life just kind (laughs) of like weaving in and out of trouble with drinking or getting in the wrong relationships and not connecting with myself and you know all that stuff that happens when you do get sober and get to know yourself so it's kind of weird it's like a bittersweet moment I think when I you know (laughs) um but so what about so that's I mean to be honest you know you've gone from quite um kind of like quite heavy drinking there like daily drinking a couple of bottles of wine or or that at least and then to sort of stopping like what did you apart from obviously you had that bit of a shift I think where the book was closed and that was it (laughs) you know you're not gonna you just decided you're not gonna do that anymore what sorts of things did you do thinking back to those first few months or so what did you do to support yourself and how did all of that go like what came up for you um oh god I was so tired (laughs) yeah I slept so much um 
the first hundred days, um, I read, I read everything I could possibly read. I was at one point reading a book every evening. I'd just come home from work and I would just sit on the sofa from like six until 11 PM. And I would just read and read, um, so all the sort of sober memoirs, um, that was really helpful. Um, honestly, I, I just hibernated. Like I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to see anyone. Like I remember saying to my best friend at the time, like, you know, I, I feel like I want to peel my skin off. Like I just can't be in this, like, I can't function outside of just this immediate, like right now I'm staying sober, like kind of feeling, um, so I, you know, I'm very fortunate. I, you know, I, I don't have children. Um, I can just go to bed <laughs> whenever yeah. I want. And I, you know, recognize like that's a huge privilege, but that's exactly what I had to do. Um, I think I saw a couple of friends very early on. Um, honestly, it was that, that white knuckle feeling. I just was clinging onto, you know, <laughs> it just, I remember I went to the theatre, I think, just before New Year. So it was like obviously like three or four days after I stopped. And I had to literally retrain my brain to not order a drink. Like it was so habitual. It was so entrenched that I had to actively remind myself, like, no, 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 you're not drinking. Um, Like it was just so automatic. But um, no, the biggest things for me were just I slept. I stayed at home. Um... I, I had to go, I think it was like a 30th birthday in January and I'd seen someone for dinner the night before and had a bit of a breakdown after that because I was just so exhausted and I'd gone to this party at a pub um, and I'd left after two hours. I thought that I'd be okay, but I just couldn't, I couldn't be there. And I think that was probably the biggest thing was just setting boundaries for mm-hmm. myself, which was something completely new to me. Um I think what I experienced as a child, you know, I've been able to reflect a lot more in the last eight months, but, you know, boundaries are something that have never made sense to me because, you know, I didn't get to have them like when I was younger and that sort of, that behavior is like really continued that I didn't have boundaries over people and I definitely didn't have them with myself. Um, so the first hundred days was just learning how to say no to people, um, to protect my energy and my mental state um so they honestly were a bit of a blur <laughs> I was thinking about them before this call and I just I, I ate a lot of chocolate and I read a lot of books and I was the quietest existence that I could possibly be and um I reached out to a few friends but I felt I like flip-flopped of whether I wanted to talk about it like obviously there's friends that I really trust and it was kind of I could be really candid but then there's those sort of like peripheral people that you know I've saw at events and things I didn't really I couldn't be bothered to explain it and you know for the that first hundred days like I felt that every time I left the house like I just had this big red stamp on my head like alcoholic can't drink don't offer alcohol um and it was really god it was so confronting like it was horrible and I had in my head like oh you know as soon as you tell people you've stopped drinking then there's this kind of wide open space for interpretation (laughs) and I was really self-conscious about it but then also like quietly empowered so it was a a very confusing time in my life um Yeah. yeah 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I t- actually, I you know, I remember sometimes you would post on the group about some of those social. <laughs> I think was there there was a boat party. Was there was there a boat party at some yeah. point? And um, yeah. my friends are going to listen to this now and be like, "Is that my birthday?" <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, more from a point of view where I think, and this is what's so lovely when people are kind of in in the group for a, a longer period of time is you see those changes so I think earlier in the year first four five months of this year there was all of that kind of reaching out okay I've got this event like how would you handle it or this happened and you know it, is that okay or you know there were just it was just that feeling yeah. about you know keep, keeping the details <laughs> vague obviously because you know uh, <laughs> don't want to be sharing all your personal shares um but <laughs> then I think you went away or you did a trip so obviously you mentioned yeah you and that was really lovely wasn't it like you had a real taste of the freedom you know when you were traveling why don't you talk about that yeah so that was a real turning point so I a group of friends and I went to Tuscany for a week for my 30th at the beginning of May how lovely um, <laughs> it was yeah. absolutely action. I, by this point I'd been I, I had a trip to New York actually at the end of March and then I went to Dublin and over Easter but it was with my best friend so it was just the two of us it was a very sort of safe environment like she doesn't drink a huge amount so it was very different I'd, I'd had a lot of anxiety about this trip to Italy because I was you know there was I think 12 of us and you know I was just sort of like oh god am I just gonna be sat there while everyone else is getting big plastered? thing yeah big trip <laughs> You know, I, I still I still find it exhausting being around alcohol and especially around people that are drunk. Like I just don't. Like as soon as the, the night starts to change, I'm I'm out completely because yeah. I just I can't be bothered with it anymore. But this part, this trip, because it was for my birthday, I was you know obviously really wanted it to be amazing. And oh my god, it was just the best. Like it, I. I think like luckily I'd been sort of like five months sober by this point and something just clicked and I you know we were laughing till we were crying it was just brilliant like it everything was just perfect I couldn't have asked for a better trip um and that like something just clicked into place at that point because I think one of the big worries you know obviously alcohol comes with a lot of lows but you do you hope for some highs as well and I think that I'd you know it was such an integral part of my identity that you know May loves a glass of wine like Mm. and I you know was I'm you know fairly confident like would describe myself as quite funny to be honest (laughs) Um, and I had this real like reputation for like you know being the sort of fun crazy one but you know fairly harmless to a degree (laughs) and I'd you know the biggest one of the hardest bits of being sober was you know am I gonna have those highs again like am I gonna just feel really silly and funny and laugh and I hadn't had that really until this trip and that just yeah something just completely solidified and I was like oh my god I can do this like this is the thing this is that you know I'm moving towards that point that like people who have been sober for a long time have, have mentioned you know when it all sort of the sky's clear and you suddenly are like, oh, like that's, that's life. Like that's the thing I was looking for. And, mm. you know, it's like, it's not even that complicated. You just don't drink and then you have genuine fun. But <laughs> it's really yeah. quite simple. But yeah, they say that, that was a real pivotal moment, I think. And then from there, I mean, you know, there's still, 
I, yeah, I don't know. I'm finding it a lot easier now. Like I, I have the sort of tools. I've, you know, I've learned a lot about, you know, the effects of alcohol and things like that. Like it's, I've definitely like demystified drinking. Like I, I have turned into one of those annoying people that you know looks at people in the airport like, "What are you doing? It's private. <laughs> Why are you having a pint? That's disgusting." That's so I, you know, I've moved towards that, but. um yeah, that was a really special moment, I think, when suddenly I was like, if this, if I can have moments like this, like, th- then everything is worth it. Like, that's, that's it. Like, there's no sacrifice for me anymore. Like, I don't want to be drunk. I don't want to be hungover. I just want to have, like, genuine moments with, you know, my friends who I love more than anything in the world and know that it's real. Like, I'm not laughing because I've drank a bottle of wine and everything is funny. Yeah. Um, just I'm actually laughing because it is genuinely funny and it was such, yeah. such a weird moment I was like oh my god this is so good <laughs> yeah I see you're, you're so right as well it it's almost it's strange when you think about how simple it is <laughs> really <laughs> that yeah I know and it's also it's so difficult to describe that as well I think to people you know when they say oh god what do you do to have fun when you don't drink you just think well I just I'm just living my life just but without the drinking and it is more fun really because like yeah. you say you're not finding stupid things funny because just because you all find it funny just because do you know what I mean it's like it's 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 kind of it's a, it's a realness and I think that I can understand why that might sound a bit bland <laughs> to people who are drinking but and when you get there yourself, you realise that is what it is all about. That is what it is all about. And like you said, that's what you're searching for, mm. really, just that genuine connection. And, and 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 not only that, but just also that inner peace. So how has it changed? How How has not drinking changed your life, especially the relationship with yourself? Oh God, in in every way imaginable. I don't think there's a single part of my life that has remained the same or has got worse. Like everything has improved. Um, I mean, there's, you know, some some obvious ones like, you know, my skin is better, my sleep. I was always fortunate that I was, I'm a very good sleeper. And, you know, I used to think that if I pass out in bed at 10 and I wake up at seven and that's fine obviously that's not fine um but you know my quality of sleep is really good you know my skin's improved my even my hair is different like it's just so much more nourished um but obviously the yeah the big things is the emotional sobriety and you know I sort of alluded it to, to it before just you know it's really simple to just not drink and uh, I realise like it's yeah it's so much more than like whether or not I should have a glass of wine like the the things I've had to really confront what made me want to disappear from my life like why did I not have the tools to cope with you know the nuances of (laughs) of life and um I've just I had to be really honest with myself and that's been such an, you know, that's improved my relationship with myself because I finally am like acknowledging the things that I find difficult. And, you know, I said before about, about boundaries, like that was a huge thing, you know, having one sip of alcohol just it got to a point where I had a license to do and say anything I wanted. And, 
you know, I had no sort of future aspiration. I just existed, you know, very much for that first drink and then all of the ones that come after. And now I've just had to really look at like the way that I cope with things and the effects, the real effects of of what, you know, what my childhood have, have left on me as an adult. And, you know, I finally feel like I have the strength to learn more about trauma like you know you don't just get over something because you do a bit of traveling and you get a degree and your life looks nice on Instagram like I've had to really break down all of the things that I understand about myself and about my life Mm. and that's just been I mean it's it's been it's been so rewarding like it's been really, really difficult but removing alcohol and that constant toing and froing and that that weakness that alcohol brings to life like that failure feeling mm. without that I'm like oh, okay that's actually really you know this is a really painful thing to admit but I can just say it out loud and nothing bad will come of it like it's just it's it's out there in the world now and you know whereas before like I was definitely running from things and you know I've always had this little fear that you know my love of travel like my my drinking like it's all about escapism and you know I've very much like existed in my mind like (laughs) in a way that you know I've always felt is different to other people um it's probably really egotistical to say but I've you know I've always felt very alone and you know pretty (laughs) pretty worthless like you know what what happened with my family like that estrangement like that was you know god when just when you think things can't get worse and then suddenly you know this man can can do these things to you and then your family who you don't even know if they believe you or not can suddenly just be like you know what I can't be bothered to deal with this just go and that's that's what it was like and I you know I'd internalized that shame that I felt from him and then that rejection I had from my family and my drinking had just it was like a mirror of like how I felt about myself like you know what's the point I can't be bothered like everything's just shit like all the time and yeah. you know like now now that it's not there like I can just see things for how they are and it's not like everything is perfect like of course it's not but at least I know that like when I feel something it's real and that's you know <laughs> It's just crazy, like to think, like how, like how was I existing before? And yeah. I feel so sad, like looking back on myself. And it's quite an interesting, like exercise here now to like kind of go through it all. And yeah, to realize, like God, I don't even know how to talk about being fourteen or eighteen or even twenty-five. Like I don't have words for those feelings because I didn't let myself like take anything in and. Yeah, but you, yes. you you were in very much in self protection mode though. Yeah, then I mean, you have had to go through some horrific situations, and that abandonment um, and and the rejection that creates a big hole in your life, a huge hole, and that hole is waiting for to be filled with low self esteem and thoughts of worthlessness and and mm. and you know. At, and and I, I feel emotional again because <laughs> my story is different to yours, but I travelled down a similar path in in that I I grew up with those with those feelings, and I think it took me till my forties to stop drinking and to start 
reparenting myself yeah start (laughs) just to to look at the five-year-old in my past Mm -hmm. that was me and to think what would I do if I could see that five-year-old now oh my god I would hug her like it's so (laughs) much I would want to I would want to swoop in take her up you know in my arms and walk out the door and give her the best life and I didn't fit you know I know that now but it's taken work to get to that point where I'm able to accept that it wasn't my fault that what happened to me when I was younger when I was growing up it wasn't my fault I was a child you know I was a child and I deserved better. And I think just so, sometimes just for me, it was about separating, you know, those feelings that I felt inward, which was shame and mm. self-loathing and not good enough and all of those things. And it was about separating those feelings from the reality, which was that I was just a kid and I deserved yeah. better. I, I deserve better. And and so now I look back and I, I always want to hug that 10 year old or that 14 year old or that 21 year old you know the 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 girl that made all the mistakes whilst drinking too much you know I just I feel so much compassion for her now whereas it took her you know in the beginning I felt shame even to be honest even the 38 year old that was a single parent that was drinking every night and feeling really lonely I feel self-compassion for myself. I don't feel I don't feel embarrassed. I don't feel shame anymore. And that's just that that comes, I think, the more that you think about it and the more you practice and the more you delve into those parts of yourself. And and I think it's a really lovely place to be when you can feel more peace I think yeah I really do it's hard like I think a lot of us are walking around with these feelings you know I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast now and the one common thread that connects us all is that feeling of not being good enough no matter Mm. what that childhood looked like or what, what the circumstances were people don't feel good about themselves you know it's such a common story and I think it's really beautiful that we take the time to share that and mm. you know t- and 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 you know make someone else feel seen and heard because it you know it's it's t- I think it's tough I think it's tough and then when you have the trauma on top it's like you know it's, it's so much tougher I was going to ask actually have you ever heard of someone called Sarah Baldwin I, it rings a bell, but I can't. It's probably because I mentioned it on the group, to be fair. But, <laughs> the, the re- but the reason why I'm mentioning her, she is a wonderful person in this kind of trauma community. She's a somatic practitioner. And so she works very much with body and mm. trauma and things like that. And she's brilliant at describing the different states of the nervous system and Mm. particularly linked to trauma as a child, how you can stay stuck and how you need to help yourself to move out of those different and to feel safe in modern day situations that might remind you of, you know, um, those kind of uh, freeze, fight, flight states that... (laughs) 
that you get into. Um, and she also suffered, she she had some child abuse as well. And so the reason why I just thought, you know, sometimes when you connect somebody yeah. with somebody else, it, you know, it might be in terms of um, deepening your trauma healing mm. work, she might be a good person. Okay. She's got a website, she's got an Instagram, she's done a lot of, pod, she's been a guest on a lot of podcasts and um and she describes what she just describes everything really well and and you yeah. might find that really helpful and interesting and she's also got kind of like free workbooks and things on her site which which might help you to just mm. yeah just just might be quite um might be quite enlightening for you to to sort of move into that um yeah what a story <laughs> i mean i just think that you are so brave and you have so much courage and you are just you are you really matter do you know what I mean I think it's really lovely that you put you're putting yourself first despite all these challenges that you've had in your early life and coming on this podcast as well and sharing it being <laughs> really open it, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts to do that and I think you should try again Terry (laughs) yeah but also you know you've got to eight months you know you've really you you're doing it you know you're you've changed your life and that is all down to you so you know I I hope you feel that deep pride in yourself for for, for getting to eight months and you know you're 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 not that far off getting into a year (laughs) and I I just feel like it gets better and better. I really do. You know, and you've got the sober Christmas to look forward to. And um, sober Christmases are amazing. It's like, how have I been drinking all these years and ruining such a special time of year when actually you can just do, yeah, you can just do it all without alcohol and really love it. Um, What would be your top three tips for people that are, listening today and they are looking to jump into sobriety what would you tell them i'm to do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, god my tips i mean practical tips would be just educate yourself as much as you can be it the science of alcohol and addiction um learning about other people's experiences was was completely invaluable to me like i just I don't know if I had, I think I started with some morbid curiosity about rock bottom for other people. And then the more I read, the more I just was able to let go of that, you know, fascination and then just really open myself up to the variety of experiences that we've all had. Um, So I would say, yeah, to, to educate yourself. So reading podcasts, like I've just done loads of Googling of things that have jumped out (laughs) Um, as I've you know got further into into sobriety um particularly in the early days I know I said this before but I think just carving out time for yourself to rest and recover like that was just so important and you know I I really was just at the limit of what I could tolerate (laughs) physically and mentally and having space to myself was a really important way for me to sort of recover and to just gather the strength that I needed to kind of push through all of those firsts that you have you know first holiday first party first whatever it is people are doing these days um and community I mean 
God, that's been so important. Like I've obviously, as you said, I've, I'm on the five group. Um, I I follow the Reddit thread as well. I think it's like forward slash stop drinking. And that's just another way to hear other people's perspective. Um, I think demystifying the notion of problem drinker or gray area drinker or, or alcoholic, like however people identify or want to describe themselves. Um, I know this has come up a lot on your podcast of that, you know, that image of someone on a park bench with a bottle of vodka. And I think demystifying what having a problem with drink looks like was really helpful because it suddenly, it just added context to my own relationship with alcohol. And, you know, part of what kept me drinking, even when my subconscious was telling me like this is not right like you cannot exist like this the thing that kind of kept me drinking was was like reaching for that image like but I'm not that like it can't get you know it's not not that bad and um I think that held me back for a long time and then you know also that feeling of like oh I can't stop drinking for this I can't you know I need to drink at that wedding or holiday or or whatever and I think just learning so much about other people's experiences helped me to understand my own better. Um, And that, you know, emotional sobriety is so, so important. I just, I wouldn't have stayed sober if I had just gone through the motions, you know, the sort of dry drunk kind of concept where you sort of do all the same things, but you just don't drink at them. And, um, yeah the power of saying no oh my other last tip actually which I did write down was the power of a French exit (laughs) that has literally been my best friend if you're in a group and you want to go just go Go. (laughs) just leave it's amazing like I honestly have never ever had the guts to do a French exit you know my inner people pleaser like (laughs) need for wine I would never ever leave a party like I was always the last one and now honestly I love to leave a party after like an hour I'm just like I'm out it's been yeah. it's been nice I've said hello um and I think you know that sort of French exit like that speaks to a sort of a broader boundary setting that is really important if you want to stay sober like you have to put yourself first you have to say no if you need to and you know I think everyone thinks that if you leave the party then there's going to be this big gaping hole in the party and then you know ego slightly dented but I realized like oh no one's even noticed that yeah (laughs) and you know I think there's that worry of like what other people think or you know that you're letting them down but Mm. honestly life is too short to just worry so much about what other people want from you like you've got to do what is is in your best interests um yeah and eat lots of chocolate obviously that's my (laughs) (laughs) oh where where can we find you may if people want to send you a, a message or follow your journey how would they find you yeah, so I don't really, I mean, I don't post a huge amount about it on my Instagram, but I might start. So it's, I think it's just May prior. <laughs> um, I probably should have checked that. Before. Yeah, so at, I think you're right. Yeah, at yeah, May prior. Yeah, um, M-A-Y-P-R-I-O-R. Yeah. 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 And then if anyone ever wants to contact me, I mean, I'm happy for them to ask you for my email address or however it works. But um, also, you know, catch me on the Thrive group. That would be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's really worth 
while thing you've created like such an incredible space and some of the connections that I've built there are just so amazing and you know you can post something and a couple of days later like someone will private message you to check in and honestly that just I was so stunned that people were so considerate (laughs) and it's really yeah it's it's been amazing and you can always find support there um and whatever community sort of you end up in I think that those are really important yeah they're your kind of people aren't they in those communities I know what you mean about Thrive makes my heart hurt how how lovely (laughs) everyone is it's just so so heartwarming um May, you're such an inspiration. You really are. Um, and I, I'm i so grateful um, for your, yeah, for your vulnerability today. And um, I'm excited for you, you know, to see what the future holds and, you know, for you to just keep going on, to keep moving forward in your journey and keep growing. Um, it's, yeah, it's really lovely to see, to see that. So thank you so much for being <laughs> on my show. Thank you so much as well. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And um, thank you to everybody else. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.